And uh, I've always said it, I'm a shark. Sharks eat. Sharks are killers. They figure out ways to, to provide for themselves. And, and that's what I've done. That's right, Shark Week is back, and C.J. McCollum, the self-proclaimed shark, however corny that might be, just got a big old payday. Oh yeah, and by the way, pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, you are listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. So in honor of Shark Week, we've got a very special guest, Jeff Siegel of earlybirdrights.com, a CBA and salary cap expert is here to chat about CJ's big payday and the Blazers' financial outlook. Uh, We'll just kind of bounce around on Blazers' financial stuff for a couple segments, so stick with us. Jeff, thanks for uh, hanging out with us for a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what are your just initial reactions to this? Um, Obviously, it's not a full max, but what does a three-year, $100 million uh, extension mean in your eyes for the Blazers and for CJ McCollum? I mean, I think the the first reaction to me has nothing to do with the Blazers or C.J. McCollum. It's just sort of interesting that this is a path that he was willing to take and that players in general are willing to take. We didn't, you know, they took a lot of the bite out of veteran extensions on the last CBA and then they sort of brought them back. And now we're seeing these not superstars, but star level players like C.J. McCollum and Kevin Love in particular taking these extensions to, you know, to obviously extend with the current teams that they're on, lock in that money and, you know, ahead of time and and sort of take that that sort of financial security. And I think, you know, for, for a guy like C.J., who's, you know, coming into, you know, he's about to be 28. He would have been 30, you know, hitting free agency in 2021. I think it makes a ton of sense for him to, to take the money that's on the table. Do you think this is a good deal for the team? Like, is him taking less than Max a good deal for the Blazers? Yeah, I mean, I think if he were to have played the way he's played the last few years over the next two then he would have been eligible for like $37 million in year one, and it would have just grown from there. And so, you know, locking him in from age 30 to age 32 at, you know, an average of $33 million a year, that's a really good deal for them. That's, you know, at least a $4 million break off of year one, assuming that he would have, you know, stayed healthy over these next two years and, and continue to produce like he has. You know, that's that's a four million dollar break in year one. That's a probably a seven million dollar break in year two. So, you know, you can see how that those you know this this contract can be a big a big savings for them plus the fact that they gave him the most years that they possibly could to add 3 years on to the 2 years that he already had under contract that means that at you know when he's 32 they can get out of it and you know figure out what they want to do next from there rather than having him locked up until he's you know 34 or 35 when things can get a little bit hairier so you know for for them i think the length of the contract is perfect they got you know they got a break off the amount and for him of course you know, he locks in no matter what he does over the next two years, what his health situation is, what his production situation is. He's got that hundred million dollars locked in. So, you know, it's sort of a win win for both sides. Yeah, it's it seems like a, a weird world where a hundred million dollar extension seems team friendly. But here we are. And I think CJ sort of right at that tier where the near max might actually be a be a bargain for him. It's it's hard to say. Um, but I think 
you, you mentioned what they're going to do when when the season when this uh, contract is up. I mean, what they're going to do is they're going to give 34 year old Damian Lillard 30 55 million dollars. Um, so that's that's I guess my next line of questioning. Does this, in your eyes, prohibit what the Blazers might be able to do? flexibility wise as they try to, I mean, they're talking championships, um, which is really bizarre for me uh, to hear this team, like um, sort of not shy away from talking about trophies. Um, Does this going to hinder their flexibility and their pursuit of those trophies? That's the, that's the cool thing about this extension in particular is because both he and Lillard's extension doesn't kick in until 2021. It doesn't change anything for this year or next year. So whatever they were planning on doing in 2020, they can still get that done. Obviously, now that they have CJ absolutely under contract going forward, they can sort of they can pivot away from going, you know, going for any sort of insurance policy for those guys because they've got both of them under contract for so long. But in 2020, they've got just as much cap space as they would have before. I've got them at about $18 million in cap space, depending on what happens with Rodney Hood and Mario Hazonia's player options. If those guys opt in, that lowers down to about 12.2, and then they can sort of decide whether they want to be over the cap or under the cap. But that's getting into the the weeds a little bit here. So they're going to be able to get one way or the other. Next year, they can get about a $10 million player then the next year they should be able to do just about the same. And so, you know, they can add on the periphery of, of this team. They won't be a tax team this time next year because of the big contracts that are coming off the books. You know, Hassan Whiteside, Kent Bazemore, those guys are coming off the books after this year. So they won't, they shouldn't have to worry about the tax moving forward. And they can sort of, you know, really start to build this team around, around purely around Dame, CJ and Yusuf Nurkic. Yeah, I think that's, that's key for them. Um, while they, they, Outwardly, they try to act like they don't care about the tax, um, and they're really promoting how involved, or at least behind the scenes and also publicly, and I think some of it is certainly true, but how involved Jody Allen is and how how much she kind of enjoys um, having some sort of stake in this team now when I think it was the perception was that maybe she didn't, and then that would put the ownership situation in flux. Regardless of that, I don't think the Blazers want to be in repeater tax hell i think they would like to have a full season where they are or at least a season where they are not in the tax and avoid um some of those steeper penalties that that happens if you're in for three out of four years or whatever it is um that said do you you got to assume that um that hood and hazonia are both gone uh or not gone but they'll opt out and try to get more money somewhere else um particularly rodney hood it seems like he could he could chase it if he wants to uh but do you think sort of the Blazers are going a route we'll see more small market teams do, which is just kind of lock in what you have, knowing that you might not be a, a real factor in free agency and that the difference in eight or 10 or 12 million probably won't matter because you're just you're only t- chasing a certain tier of guys. You think that's a fair way that smaller teams are approaching the market? Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense for a lot of teams, especially the way that you've seen even, you know, mid-tier market teams like the Dallas Mavericks just strike out over and over and over again, maybe it makes sense to sort of just keep the guys you have, keep the continuity that you have growing. Obviously, that's a huge deal in Portland, the way that they've built their team over the years, the way that they've, you know, continue to bring back most of the same core year after year, you know, Damon CJ, obviously at the, at the top of that. And so I think the, the way that they've decided to go about their, you know, building their team, you know, the fact that they have ownership, both in Paul Allen and now Jody Allen, who are willing to spend 
whatever it takes to have a competitive team, that certainly helps. I mean, that is, you know, a fantastic resource to have. And in that way, they almost behave like a big market team. The only big market thing that they don't have is the sort of attractiveness to other free agents. But in terms of spending power, they pretty much are behaving like a big market team in terms of their, you know, ability to spend through the tax and their willingness to spend through the tax. So they sort of can can go both directions. They can decide, you know, if Bazemore was in a place very well for them and they want him to be a big part of this team moving forward, they could bring him back with his bird rights. They can, you know, uh, Rodney Hood will ha- then have two years with the team. They can bring him back at a, at a reasonable value as well. So, you know, I think that they'll have some some opportunity to give those guys some money plus the mid-level and, and sort of get back into just about the tax. Though, of course, they do want to avoid the tax because next year would be the repeater tax for them, assuming they pay it this year as well. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a big deal for them to get out of the repeater tax. I, I think that's they might not state that publicly, like I was suggesting, but but I I really believe, um, you know, we saw we saw them with the sort of Noah Vonley salary dump a couple seasons ago, uh, when they are right up against the line, they would prefer to not be a tax team because those penalties get so steep. Uh, let's take a quick break and we get back in the second segment. Let's talk a little bit about the rest of the Blazers roster moves this summer from your perspective and kind of where they stack up in the West. Uh, but before I do that, I want to tell all my listeners out there about socks. That's right, y'all socks. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Plus for every Bombas purchase, they donate a pair to someone in need. Find out more about what feet daydream about at bombas.com slash locked today and get 20% off at bombas.com slash locked. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash L-O-C-K-E-D. Welcome back. So we talked all about C.J. McCollum's $100 million extension. Uh, we're chatting with Jeff Siegel of earlybirdrights.com. Uh, Jeff, Beyond CJ, what did you make of the Blazers' moves this summer, uh, you know, competitively, financially, whichever way you want to take it? I mean, I think, you know, a few of their sort of the big moves that stand out, of course, are the Whiteside, Bazemore, and Nasir Little draft picks, you know, the the, the, the Nasir Little draft pick. Um, you know, the Whiteside trade, I wasn't, you know, I, I don't. I don't get that one from from my perspective unless they know something about Yusuf Nurkic that the rest of us don't know because this team is not playing for the regular season. So, you know, booing themselves in the regular season with Hassan Whiteside to try to, you know, increase their regular season win total until Nurkic comes back in, you know, February or March just for Nurkic to then, of course, take over the the starting set, you know, the starting center spot once we get into the into the playoffs. That seemed a little odd to me. I just didn't think that that was a, a a an area of need for them if they were willing to to part with a Mo Harkless and Myers Leonard Mo Harkless being a a you know a very solid part of of their team last year I would have thought that they'd try to at least replace him with another forward type player that's the mm-hmm. biggest weakness on this team and so it didn't make a ton of sense I mean obviously you know the regular season matters for this team the home court advantage the Blazers have might be the best one in the whole league now that like the Golden State Warriors are moving into a new building and who knows what that's going to look like. You know, Denver obviously has the high, the uh, sort of yeah, the I would altitude say the Nuggets, advantage. I would say the Nuggets, but they literally just lost a game seven at home. So maybe, maybe sure. not. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like they, they should, they have one just sort of physically, but like right. in terms of the crowd, there's, well, there yeah, isn't, no, I mean, and this <laughs> is not just pandering because this is the Blazers podcast, but like the crowd in, in at the Moda Center or the Rose Garden, whatever you call it, is going is is the best crowd in the league right now and has been for years, has been a big, you know, has been one of the, the best five crowds in, in the league for 
probably as long as I've been alive. And Jeff, we're okay with pandering. The the <laughs> the Blazers uh, Lockdown Blazers Executive Committee is totally okay with pandering. So continue to do it at your leisure. I mean, and I'm happy to say it when it's true. It's not. I'm not going to come on here and be like, yeah, the Memphis Grizzlies have the best crowd in the world. It's like you know, the, it is what it is. The, but the Blazers have the best crowd, and they so. Going, you know, using that as part of their advantage in the playoffs makes a little bit of sense to me in terms of, you know, trying in the regular season to push as many wins as possible in order to secure as many home playoff games as possible because that's where they that's where they have their advantage. Um, but then again, like I, I, I think for me, if my goal is to win championships, Hassan Whiteside is not a kind of player that I would trade what they traded for to to get him. That's just not my my cup of tea, I would not have gone that route, especially with Nurkic coming back. Then again, they know more about Nurkic's medical situation than I do. Maybe they've sort of seen him, you know, try to get, you know, try to improve his condition over the last few months and are, are not 100% sure that he's going to be back for next year's playoffs. At that point, then Hassan Whiteside makes a lot more sense. Of course, he's still not somebody that you would love to have as your center for the playoffs. But at that point, you need somebody <laughs> and Nurkic, if Nurkic isn't available, that would be, you know, that would be a huge problem for them. So I wasn't a huge fan of the Nurk, uh, of the, uh, the white side thing. Basemore makes a lot of sense. Like Basemore is exactly what they need. He's that sort of four, you know, wing guard guy on the wing who can knock down shots for just the price of Evan Turner. No draft picks went out in that deal. So that, that made a ton of sense for me. Turner, just doesn't fit what they need. Like Turner needs the ball in his hands, but they've already got Damon CJ and those guys all obviously need the ball in their hands and are better than him. So, you know, putting, you know, putting a guy like Baysmore on this team, ideally you would have liked Baysmore to be like three inches taller and you know, 25 Agreed. pounds heavier and, and just stronger and be able to defend, you know, threes and fours the way Turner can, but they're going to give up a little bit of that offense, that defensive strength in order to bring a lot more offensive firepower. And so I think that was a, a fine pick. You know, I think a lot of what they sort of are building toward, not just this year, not just next year, but even like once those extensions kick in for Lillard and McCollum, Nasir Little, if he can really pop, if he can be a starting level sort of swing man between the three and the four, all of a sudden that's a really good team. You know, if he's if he's able to defend the LeBron James, the Kevin Durant's of the world, if he's big and strong and able to defend those guys and he can sort of knock down shots, he can get to the rim a little bit, he can play within the flow of the offense, he sort of improves a lot on his basketball IQ issues, which is sort of what made him fall in the draft. That would be, you know, that would, that would, you know, sort of preclude them from having to spend big money or big assets to trade for or, you know, sign or trade for a, a guy at that position they could get, you know, they obviously they have him for cheap for the next four years and then they can, you know, figure it out after that. And so, you know, I think he's a he's he could be a massive, massive part of this team if he really pops. Yeah, I think a lot of the Blazers model and one of the reasons I think they're willing to say once we get top tier talent, we will pay the top tier talent to stick around and we'll do it maybe earlier than other teams would. Um, you know, the day one, they're offering Dame this, the, his max extension. They're obviously getting this done with CJ well before the season starts. You know, he was eligible, I think, on Saturday. They got it done Tuesday. So maybe they took Sunday off. They had one day of work to uh, to give CJ this deal. Is because the Blazers believe they're or are banking on their young draft picks popping. They, I mean, they've cleared the decks for Anthony Simons to play. They've cleared the decks for Zach Collins to start at power forward and play 30 plus minutes a night. I mean, they just like, they don't have another forward. That's not Anthony Tolliver that can play there regularly. Um, 
and 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 the same with Nazir Little. Like they're just hoping that by the time those big money extensions kick in, that he's a regular starter on the cheap and that he's and he's ready to ride. Um, I I think that's I think the them believing in their draft picks is a bit is a big reason why these extensions kind of pop up so soon. Um, are you are you a believer in the sort of I know you talked about Nazir Little, but are you a believer in the clearing the decks for Zach Collins and Anthony Simons? I mean, I, I think. I think I'm I'm a believer in clearing the decks for Zach Collins. I would worry about playing him 30 minutes a game because if is he going to be able to commit 15 fouls in 30 minutes? Like, hey, that's it a might problem. only be 11 fouls. I mean, yeah, I mean, if they can get a special, you know, exemption from the rules that he can't foul out, then that'd be great because then you can play him as much as you want. That's my biggest worry, obviously, with him is just that he just he'll jump at any pump fake you ever throw at him. He's got to just get better in that in that way. He gets called for a ton of fouls. He can improve on that. He can that that comes with veteran savvy. That comes with sure. gaining a, you know a, a reputation with the referees. That's not I'm gonna foul everybody on every possession. So <laughs> he's got know, a bad rep right now, is for sure. He's, yeah, it's he's got a bad rep. He's a young kid. Like it's it's gonna happen for him. It's gonna he's gonna grow. Obviously, if he's not fouling everybody, he's a, a a force on both ends of the floor can do a lot of different things on both ends has, you know, showed a lot of defensive improvement in the playoffs this year, which, you know, goes to show, you know, if he can improve in the playoffs, then he can improve during the regular season and really, you know, start to, to put something together. Simons. I mean, sure. Like we have, <laughs> I have no idea what to think of him. Like he did very well in the one game that he played last year. Like literally he got to play one game out of 82 in terms of, you know, actually playing. And he was great. And yeah, so that matter? Was, like, but he literally played 48 minutes. Like the numbers are yeah. a little bit weird. Um, I would say, I, you know, I always joke about, uh, I would joke about sort of the Ikeagus of the world, like check out his per 36, check <laughs> it out. Um, sorry to slander Ikeagu. If you got, I got fans listening out there. I didn't mean it guys. Could have been anyone. Um, but it's like with, with Amphrey Simons in that game, like, well, check out his per 36. It's way worse than the numbers he actually put up. Because he didn't, he didn't. He played literally every minute of the game. It was incredible. But, but I'm with you. I like what the reason to believe in Anthony Simons is because the Blazers like wholeheartedly believe in Anthony Simons. But if you're a little skeptical of their decision making, then you, there's not a lot of data that would suggest that you should sort of get on board. Yeah, and and Simons. I mean, you just you can't know at this point. Like if you if you liked him coming out of the draft you should still like him. And if you were kind of like, eh, I don't know about this kid coming out of the draft, then that's probably where you still are. And if you were negative, then you're still negative. Like there's nothing that happened during his rookie year that should make you think, oh yeah, like this kid is going to pop. Obviously he had that one really good game. He played well in summer league this, you know, earlier this month. That was really nice to just see, you know, it's always good to see an NBA player come back, you know, after his rookie year and, not dominate, but he played well enough to. Yeah, seventy-one percent true shooting percentage in summer league. Get excited! Yeah, and so like that's the that's a baseline expectation. If you're if you're going to be a role player on a championship level team like the Blazers w- want to be, then you're you better dominate summer. Right, league. you, like, you, you need, need to be the best player in Vegas. Agreed. Yeah, you need to be on the first team All Vegas team. Like it needs to be. You need to be the best player on your team by a mile. You need to be the best player on the court at all times. It had, you know, you just have to be like that. And he was, which is great. But that's sort of the baseline expectation. Like that's just meeting the expectation. There was no way for him to like way exceed expectations unless he <laughs> right, obviously right, right. just like went nuts. But like, the, you know, in terms of realistically what he could have done. He did. He met expectations. That's really great. That's good to see. He's not, you know, certainly they can go into the season thinking, okay, 
We still, if we and we liked this kid before, we liked him enough to draft him. We liked him enough to keep him around. He played well in summer league. Let's continue to see what he's got. But in terms of, I wouldn't be any more confident in him than I am in like Nasir Little because those guys have shown just about the same amount of overall NBA quality because Simons just didn't play that much last year. So we'll see sort of which one of those guys pops. If both guys pop, obviously that would be fantastic for the Blazers. That's, you know, hope that's what they're hoping. But realistically, guys who are drafted, you know, in the, in the early 20s or mid 20s, they don't, you know, not every one of those turns into a, a rotation level player for a championship team. Yeah, in fact, um, most of them do not. Um, one more before we go to the third segment. Is Pau Gasol an NBA player at age 39 in his 19th NBA season? I mean, yeah, he's a backup center for a regular, like on during the regular season, which is exactly what they need him to be. He's exactly what they need him to be in the role that he is going to play, which is he is going to play whatever, 10 to 14 minutes a game during the regular season. Whenever right. Hassan Whiteside's off the floor, Pau Gasol is in. If, you know, if they want to go to some Zach Collins at center, that will keep, you know, keep both of those guys minutes down. That's perfect. Once they roll into the playoffs, Gasol becomes much more of a liability. But again, hopefully Yusuf Nurkic will be back. Whiteside becomes the backup and Pau Gasol is out of the rotation altogether. So for what they need specifically for this season, and it's only a one year contract, he's pretty much exactly what they need. Yeah, and when you consider that the other options for like Dragon Bender and Greg Monroe, I think Pau Gasol for his sort of soft skills as a very nice guy and someone who has won championships and seemingly won't rock the boat in the locker room, I, he's he's who you would target. I mean, uh, from the from the slim pickings of minimum, you know, minimum vet minimum centers, he's fine. Yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to think about it. Is he at the time that they got him and what the market looked like? getting him on a minimum just to play back up during the regular season and then sit on the bench and be a leader and be a good guy to have around the team, be a guy who's had, you know, has championship experience, even though it was like a decade ago, still just bringing that guy in. Literally 10 years ago. Yeah. Good point. Still. Uh, I mean, just having that guy around is, is always going to be a good thing. Yeah. If nothing else, maybe he'll go to some Portland plays and take selfies and really endear himself (laughs) to the fan base. All right. In the third segment, we'll talk a little bit about where that we we didn't get to in the second segment, so we'll get to it in the third. That's the kind of podcast this is, uh, where the Blazers stack up in the West. But before we do that, we got another word from a sponsor this week. Support of Locked on Blazers comes from Manscaped, the company who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. 20% at manscaped.com with the promo code LOCKEDON. All right, welcome back. Still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond, and we're still chatting with Jeff Siegel of earlybirdrights.com. Okay, Jeff, we talked a bunch about C.J. McCollum's $100 million extension. We kind of talked about the rest of the Blazers' moves this offseason and your take on them. But let's zoom out a little bit, get up to 30,000 feet cruising altitude, and talk about where the Blazers stand in the West. Um, obviously, things got tougher. Um, this is a team that's finished in the, as a three-seed back-to-back years. Where are they now, in your eyes, heading into the 1920 season? I mean, it's it's hard to say that they're going to be better than that, or, or even st- you know, even getting back to the three seed is probably just outside of their range. With teams, you know, obviously both LA teams got significantly better. Golden State may probably will fall back. Houston is going to be 
either just as good or better than they were last year. I think, especially in the regular season, the way that Westbrook, you know, consistently is able to stay healthy, consistently can play 34 minutes a night is going to be an upgrade for them over Chris Paul. Whether that's still an upgrade come playoff time is another question. But during the regular season, they're going to still, they're going to continue to be a very good team. Utah made some very key additions to their team. Denver, you know, continues to be, you know, right there at at the top of the West as well. So it's, you know, it's not... A, a foregone conclusion that they're even going to have home court advantage in the in the first round of the playoffs, which you know, like we talked about in terms of their crowd, they'd love to have that. That's you know maybe part of why they decided to go with uh, with the Hassan Whiteside trade to try to shore up their their regular season rotation a little bit. But it's just it's going to be a bloodbath out west, and they're part of that bloodbath. But to say that they are significantly better than a team like Utah or Denver, even for the the regular season, seems you know. It seems like they're right in that tier to me. Yeah, and I think some of their regular season mojo, they kind of exchanged this year to get better fits for maybe the playoffs. I mean, obviously, um, you've talked about sort of Whiteside's questionable fit and, and Powell's questionable fit in the, in the postseason. But the idea that that Hood, and a better individual scorer, and, and Baysmore, a better shooter and wing defender um, – kind of fill some of their holes in the playoffs, but to do, to get answers, some of those questions, they got rid of what their mojo was in the regular season was to have the same roster for four straight years. And that continuity that says we're, you know, we are familiar with each other. We know this core group works. We can steal four or five games in the regular season just because we don't have as many sort of off nights because we get along and we understand the system. I think they've sacrificed some of that. Um, I, what I, I keep coming back to is if if the Blazers are about the same as they were last year, they won 53 games. So like I want to be like, yeah, well, they're a mess. But I kind of thought they were a mess all year and then they were the third best team in the Western Conference. Um, Do you think. Do you think that because they're talking championship that it puts them into maybe maybe not acquisition wise, but just like a more urgency than maybe we've seen them in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that if that's if that edict that is is coming out publicly is something that they feel that pressure internally, and that's coming down from Jody Allen and ownership, that's coming down through Neil O'Shea to the players, like it can be that can be obviously a, a big part of the the urgency that they may feel during the season, both in terms of trying to you know, pick up players via trade or whatever to in order to improve this team if things aren't going well. The the players on the court may be sort of pressing for that that, you know, to to get into that top four. You know, even if if they if they if they find out during the season that Utah is meshing together perfectly and Denver's continuity is still there, both LA teams are going to be very good. You know, Golden State is still going to be up there. Houston's going to be up there. Like Portland may find themselves back in like the sixth seed and all of a sudden things are, are a little bit murkier. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they, if they, if they, if it happens that they fall into the sixth seed coming, going into next year's playoffs, I wouldn't look at them very differently than if they were the three seed, because like those, those sort of top six are, those are the, those are the teams that are going to be around if they can beat out one of those teams to to not have to face like a Clippers or Houston Rockets in the first round, and they're going up against you know Utah or even the Lakers, depending on what kind of moves that they can make, like they're very top heavy, but the rest of their team is not quite as good uh, as a lot of high end playoff teams. If they can face the Lakers or Utah or Denver in the first round, you could say that they're you know fifty fifty to win those series. Maybe a little bit less for the Lakers just because of the superstar Agreed. talent that yeah. they have. 
but you know they they can be right there if they're a six seed going against Utah like they have to feel they should feel good about that he is as just as good as if they were a three seed going against Utah you know yeah. if, if that makes sense yeah no I totally I think I agree um I I think uh the the way things shook out were a, a basically perfect for them last year and they needed all the help they could possibly get um and maybe some of their own Bat, like they ruined their own plan to finish third um, just to get there. So I think seeding is, while home court advantage is still going to be super important, the specific seeding, if it's, you know, if, 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 if they can climb to four, that's going to be important. And maybe it's matchup based, like you said, because I don't think they want to play Anthony Davis and LeBron James in the opening round of the playoffs, but that's a long way away. Um, the other question I want to ask you is I think there's this prevailing idea that without the juggernaut in golden state, that, um, maybe a path to the championship is is easier. I would probably push back against that after all the movement we've seen in the playoffs or in the in the off season. Uh, I would say that maybe while there isn't a clear favorite, that there are there are probably more better teams in the West than there were a season ago. Am I crazy to think that? I don't think so. I think you. I think you're on the right track with that. I think I agree with you there that there there are more sort of teams in that top tier, even if there isn't one team that's entirely unbeatable. You know, and I think the the fact that the Blazers, you know, obviously we saw that the, the Warriors weren't entirely unbeatable, but they had to, you know, the, the Blaze for the Blazers, they were basically unbeatable. Like yeah, the, they had the, no chance against them. The Blazers, the roster that the Blazers have and had last year and have going forward, but like it just doesn't match with what the Warriors were. And so now, you know, maybe that that, juggernaut doesn't exist anymore for the blazers particularly they they have as much of a fighting chance as any of the other sort of not top tier guy not top tier play, uh, teams but sort of that mid-tier with uh, with utah and denver they they're in that tier they can you know if they get hot they've got the best they've got the best player of any of the teams in that tier and damian lillard you know, depend. You know, obviously, if Yusuf Nurkic makes a, another huge leap, then you know perhaps that's a conversation. But as we sit here right now, Damian Lillard is the single best player in that sort of lower tier, uh, in that sort of mid tier with th- those other two teams in their division. So you know, from that from that perspective, you know, the best the best player, uh, you know, usually can can find a way to win those you know those playoff series. We saw it last year twice when when he took down not he but you know he was the best player on a team that took down Oklahoma City and and Denver in the in the first and second rounds, and then obviously they ran into the buzzsaw that was Golden State. Now that Golden State's sort of out of that a little bit, can they find a way to to compete against the two LA teams? I would say probably not based on where they are right now, only because the best players on those those teams are forwards, are LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. And who does the who who do the Blazers have right now who can guard those guys? Yeah, I mean it's it's their weakness and it has been. And I think while they addressed some of the the issues, and I think you touched on this up top, it was why getting rid of a pretty productive wing like Mo Harkless didn't make a ton of sense. Of course, Mo Harkless ends up on maybe the best team in the NBA with the Clippers. Congrats, Mo. Enjoy LA. I know you live there in the off season. You'll love the weather. Um, but it's you know I I think while they've addressed some of their basic issues, their core weaknesses haven't changed too much. Um, even if they're even if you think they're slightly better or even just like better just better suited to play together, I'm not sure that that anything they've done this offseason has addressed their core weaknesses. And um, when you see the best teams in the West having these big old ball handlers on the wing, um, it, it 
you know, it just it, it makes you realize that um, it's it is still going to be tough no matter what. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you if you had to say that that I mean that is their core weakness. It it was a little bit last year, but it's it's worse than it was last year for now. I mean, like unless Agreed. unless Nasir Little turns into what they you know what they hope I don't that even he'll think be. He's going to play this year. Like I don't I I, I don't think Nasir Little will get will be on the court very much this year. So yeah, like, I would imagine he's, he's a year away. The, yeah, I would imagine he's on the Simons path where he barely plays. He plays a lot in sort of whatever G League that they can figure out since they don't have their own team. They can, you know, figure out where, where you know, how to get him professional experience in the G League. They can play him in garbage time during the season. But, you know, outside, like he's their best, even now, like it's just as we sit here, he's still their best forward defender. And if he's not going to be playing, like that's, you know, they're, they've got a huge hole at that position. Like at least with Harkless and Aminu and Turner, they could at least throw out a defender at the three and the four to, to slow down some of these guys. Now they really have nothing. They were a better offensive team as a result of sort of getting rid of Turner and, and moving into this more offensively focused group. But, you know, defensively, things are going to be very difficult for them in the playoffs. Yeah, maybe Hazonia pops as like the an all-world <laughs> defender. You know, there's an outside chance that Mario awesome. Mario Hazonia is an all-world defender this year. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Um, no, I don't believe that. I, I don't know what they. I do not know what they do on the wing. Um, I I I feel like they're going to be fine again in the regular season and be right where they've been. And I feel like we're going to be answering a new set of the same questions when we get to the playoffs. Uh, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time um, and and hanging out with us for a little bit. Is there uh, a place that you'd like to point people if they want to find your work or anything you got coming out in the near future? Yeah, you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. You can follow me on Twitter uh, also at Early Bird Rights. Earlybirdrights.com is your home for all this sort of salary cap stuff. I write articles over there. We've got all you know all thirty team salary cap sheets updated within literal seconds of things taking place and things happening in the NBA. Obviously, things are a little slower now, but you know two three weeks ago things were flying off the off the. Uh, off the transaction wire very quickly and things were updated on early bird rights as quickly as, as I could get to them. So, you know, I think that that's a, a big resource that a lot of people really like to It's like one to of the use. best resources in the NBA guys. Check it out. Earlybirdrights.com. Absolutely an invaluable resource. If you are curious about how team building and cap sheets work, you'll find it all right there. Yep, that's uh, that's pretty much the pitch for early bird rights coming in the fall. We are going to have some some statistical stuff, some more interesting sort of year round information, so that it's not just super useful at like the trade deadline and free agency. Hopefully, we're going to make early bird rights a little more well rounded. But for now, it's just you know a purely a salary cap website for for the moment. Yeah, well, you know, fans love the salary cap stuff. I bet during uh, I bet you were uh, hoping that you had extra bandwidth during the off season because people were were crashing that bad boy. Yeah, it was great. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, two back-to-back record-setting days on June 30th and July 1st. Everything was was really fantastic for, for those couple of days. But then I sort of started to look at it and realized, like, what about the rest of the year? And so, uh, I'm, you know, hopefully over this summer, I'm building out some tools that uh, people will find useful in October, November, December, and the, the rest of the year that's not uh, purely a salary cap part of the year. Awesome. Adam Silver, don't change the moratorium. Earlybirdrights.com needs it. They need those weird days in the summer where things are uncertain. Guys, I really, 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 really appreciate you listening. You can find this podcast Anywhere you get podcasts, that's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. They will thank you for it. I appreciate you guys listening. Jeff does too. I'll talk to you soon. 
I've always said it. I'm a shark. Sharks eat. Sharks are killers. They figure out ways to, to provide for themselves.